0: The following is a Just Green production, brought to you by the Mighty News Network.
1: Okay, terrific. Okay, terrific.
0: Grab his dick and twist it!
2: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Might Be Brews, episode 49, the podcast where we explore the people, places, and brews of the craft beer world. My name is John. With me, as always, Mr. Steve. How you doing?
0: You're not watching Wandavision. You're wrong.
2: <laughs> we got to talk about that later. Yes. The man behind the board, my brother Taylor. How you doing? What's
0: up, everybody? How you doing?
2: Yo, and we've got some very special guests. Um, let me try to run through the list here. We've got podcasters, YouTubers, investors, <laughs> JJ, and um, Brad Finn. Thank you guys for joining us. How you doing?
3: I'm good, man. Thank you. Uh, thank you guys for having us. We're excited.
2: Killing
4: it, man! Living the dream. Bro. I could not be happier to uh, be a part of this right now.
3: <laughs> and both We're fellow be-
2: big beer drinkers too. Huge
4: so beer drinkers, yeah.
2: <laughs> Throw so that on the list. Pretty good beer? at drinking beer. Yeah, that's right. That's beer. right. We're taking a little bit of a departure from what you guys are used to. A lot of the people that are on that that watch our show and participate, um, we have local breweries on. We have beer friends. We have home brewers, stuff like that. So, um, I'm going to go ahead and talk about how I even hooked up with you guys. Um, I, I think like everybody else in the world, there was this um, this huge, uh, you know, demand or, or whatever you want to call it, increased energy going on in the, um, in the investment space. You know, everybody's tweeting and talking about uh, GameStop and AMC and all of this crazy stuff happening, Wall Whoa! Street bets, right? So I start digging into this, like, what's going on? What is happening? I want to know more. And I guess you guys do a good job with your algorithms and everything. Cause I think I Googled like, you know, GameStop or something and halfway down the Google page was JJ shirt, you know, live streaming, and he's got a drink beer, buy stock shirt on. So I had to go grab me one of those cause I thought the shirt was dope, but, um, but yeah, that's how I found you guys. And then got hooked up with Brad too. And I'm, I'm really excited to talk about it because, you know, Beer's fantastic. We're definitely going to talk plenty about beer. We've got some really cool stuff to try and talk about. But um, I mean, I think that I'm starting to realize that investing and learning about the stock market and things like that is a lot more obtainable than people realize. Some people think you you just, you have to be a millionaire to even start or something like that. And um, it's very obtainable. It's very reachable. And I, I want to try to get that out to people and, and just talk about it and learn myself. So uh, I think that's, uh, that's pretty much while we're here. Um, let me get a couple, uh, a couple plugs out of the way quick. Uh, you guys make sure you check out the new MBnnetwork.com. It's never been easier to find your new favorite podcast and uh, help us make the show bigger and better than ever before. Go to patreon.com/mbnnetwork. Uh, five dollars a month get you free content free shit, um, giveaways monthly, things like that. And shout out to the sponsor, Unomia CBD. That's E-U-N-O-M-I-A-C-B-D.com. Use promo code MBN, get 20% off free shipping and a free gift. And uh, I think that's all the pleasantries out of the way. So let's get into it, guys. So, So you guys are both YouTubers, podcasters in the investment space, but I think both of you guys really are um, doing this full time now, you know, or or maybe out of your nine to five jobs. Um, I'd like to know what you guys did before doing your shows and your YouTube stuff and how you got to the point of, um, you know, going full time content creator. So I'll start with uh, with Brad, if that's all right. Brad, yeah, a little background on yourself. And I will say
4: right off the bat, the best way to talk about money is while drinking beer. So, <laughs> so true. <laughs> when J- JJ and I's podcast really started because we were on the phone talking money, drinking beers and we're like, shit, we need to press record. So I mean, I, I can give you a quick background of, uh, what I'm doing, where I'm going and how that works. So I am a, actually, I am a nine to five high school physics teacher, but don't tell my students or principal that. <laughs> nice. And, uh, I, uh, I started a YouTube channel just a couple years back just to like, as accountability to get out of debt and like try and meet some people that want to talk about money. Cause my wife was sick of hearing about it. And, uh, I grew and, and met amazing people in this space and just started t- learning about money and things like that and my my channel is a little smaller than JJ's I just passed 50,000 subscribers could probably quit teaching but I love it so much uh, my backgrounds in engineering I love it and I've always I use YouTube I've always had businesses and as we'll, we'll talk about I'm sure I I opened I founded a brewery here on Long Island that um, literally got so good and so big that I was holding it back so you you we could talk about that in a little bit but still like raging on and if I, I still tell people if you're from the Northeast and, and you haven't had one of my beer, you really don't know beer yet, but, uh, I'll flex on Chris and a little bit my former partner. If we want to talk about Dubco bold but, statement, yeah, very bold. <laughs> t- I, I have to watch out because a full disclaimer, like if I'm talking trash, the, the words out of Brad Finn's mouth are no longer, uh, reflections of Dubco's beliefs and things like that. <laughs> right. now yeah. but, but, um, yeah, I, I just take every opportunity to educate my backgrounds in education and whether it's money, beer, uh, fatherhood, anything. I just, I love learning from people and talking about, talking about it. So that's kind of my background and I'm a very, very simple person. So I, once again, thank you guys for inviting me on.
2: Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, yeah, lots to talk about there. I want to get into, um, the brewery background and things like that. Um, JJ with you, uh, first off, I I will say to you, congratulations, uh, paying off your mortgage. What was that yesterday or the day before?
3: Officially was today. Actually. Um, the payment went through today. We sent the payment in on Tuesday, but it's officially gone today. So man, it's, uh, (laughs) it's something else, dude. I'll tell you what, man. Three years. Yeah. Three years.
2: So tell me your background. You were talking a little bit about living in Hawaii and stuff, but, um, Tell me about your background and, and how you made that transition into going full-time content creator.
3: Yeah, so I uh, went to college uh, as an engineer, graduated as a civil engineer, I started a job at a typical, you know, engineering firm. And it, it, t- on the outside looking in, it was uh, it was the dream job. You know, it really was. It, but to be honest, on my first week there, I, uh, I hated it. I, I spent you know, all this time going through school, the fellow engineers out there probably know how hard it is to get through engineering school all the time, studying the tests, you know, the, the labs, everything that goes into it. And I really came to like a, a time, a point in my life where I'm like, okay, I'm 24. I have uh, you know, soon to be wife and, you know, we're going to want to start a family soon. And I'm, I'm already not happy because I got to this point where, you know, there's just buildup in college, you know, where, you, you go, you you like, okay, I'm ready to go out in the real world. I'm ready to make a difference. I'm ready to make a change. And then when you get out there, at least for me, I felt like what I was doing wasn't worth, it, it didn't feel fulfilling for me at all. I was just going to my job. I'd sit in my cubicle. I do my daily task and I would leave and I was done. I didn't feel any fulfillment from that whatsoever. so I was I literally was like, what do I do? What do I do here? There's something that needs to change. So I started looking online, you know, that's I mean, what any typical millennial probably does. Now you use Google search, like, you know, uh, I was starting to make, you know, also engineering salary, go- coming from a broke college kid, making nothing to, you know, now hence why I drink Natty Light. And you guys are going to hate me for that. I know that, but, uh, <laughs> but go- coming from a broke college kid to, uh, now, you know, an engineer making a decent salary. I'm like, okay, what do I do with this money now? You know, cause I grew up. Never really talking about money. My parents were like good savers, but we never talked about investing. No one ever said anything about, you know, what to do with your money, how to make your money grow. So once I started looking online, I actually came across Dave Ramsey. He's like the, the, yeah. the OG for me that kind of got me into my space that I'm in now. And I, I figured out like paying off debt. And then, you know, this was back in 2014. And then as I was paying off debt, I was also like, you know, dabbling in the stock market had no idea what I was doing Um, I was literally just buying companies based on the names and ticker symbols that they had I literally had no idea what I was doing and so as I started progressing in my knowledge and space of you know Finances, I stumbled upon the fire movement, which that stands for financial independence retire early I come I came across this move and I'm like, wow There's a lifestyle out there where you can do this with your money, sacrifice in the short term, but be able to retire early, you know, at a very young age. And when we say retire, you know, we're not really talking about like sitting on a beach because to be honest, I did that for a year and I got bored. Now, I maybe can explain that a little bit more in depth. But what I mean by retire is just being financially free, meaning I can choose what I want to do. I don't have to stay in the nine to five if I don't want to. I can go take a risk and start a new business or whatever it may be. So then how I got started with YouTube is uh, after, you know, years of learning and, my you know, being in and out of investments and trying different things, I always had these new goals. And, and Brad kind of said this, too. I would constantly talk to my wife about, OK, babe, we got to do this. Now we got to do this with our money. We're going to move our savings over here. We're going to pay this off and do this. And finally, she just got sick of it. She's like, you need an outlet. And I was not really a watcher of YouTube too much. But I would, you know, stumble upon videos every now and then. And finally, one day, I came home and I was like, <clears throat> "I'm gonna, I'm gonna record myself." I'm not a super tech savvy guy, um, you know. I, I, you know, when I press the record button on a camera, I had no idea what I was doing, guys. This was a little over two and a half years ago. And I recorded on how I paid off my student loans in nine months. And that was my first video on YouTube. And then from there on out, there, I mean, the rest is history. It's just been a trickle effect. And I did go full-time on YouTube back last uh, in August of 2020. And I've been doing it ever since. And it's been life-changing, to be honest. It's been crazy. One hell of a ride, that's for sure.
2: Yeah, I believe it. That's uh, It's just wild to think about that um, something like that could take off. I mean, I think I saw on your page in particular, J.J., the week that everything was going crazy, some of your videos had five. I mean, and this was a while back, 500,000 views. Like that's it, wild numbers.
3: It was nuts, man. I mean, like, it, yeah, like this. So the stock market has been a pretty heavy conversation piece over the past year. You know, we've had the Roni situation happen last year back in March. We had the huge fallout, you know, market dropped 30, 40 percent in a matter of a couple weeks. I remember being in the hospital. My daughter was being born and I'm sitting, I have CNBC on the, on the TV watching the market go down. I'm like, I, you know, heaven, God forbid my wife's in bed. You know, we just had this baby and I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is look at all this content I could be making music right now. But with, with the big drop in, in the stock market. We saw a huge influx of new investors come in because it was like the time to get in. You know, the everything was on sale, so we saw a big increase in the stock space. Kind of leveled off towards the end of the year, and then January hit, and then bam! Now this GameStop, AMC stuff, all this stuff started happening, and I feel like this even got more attention than what happened back in in the Rony, you know, back in COVID happened in March. So it's been yeah, it's been crazy, man. The, the views. I'll say this: I've been doing this for a while, but the 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 amount of pop i've seen in the past i would even just say like the past month has been absolutely insane it's been crazy
2: yeah it's it's absolutely insane i mean that's honestly how i found you guys and um and it's just been crazy how much um just watching all this stuff and learning about it and you know reading all the ridiculous things on Wall Street bets. <laughs> you yes. know what I mean? Just <laughs> You know, um, it's crazy. I don't it's know. crazy. Yeah, there's so much stuff out there that I had no idea about. I want to get into um I want to talk about what exactly happened with Wall Street bets with GameStop, uh Elon Musk, things like that. Uh but first, I think we need to go around the table or around the the room here and uh and talk about what we're drinking. Um <gasps> JJ, I'll start with you. You said you had something that you wanted to talk about.
3: Yeah, so first, I know I'm on a beer, you know, I'm a drink beer, buy stocks guy, and I'm on a beer podcast right now. I'm going to ruin myself, to be honest. I got to be honest with you guys. I uh, am a newly craft beer drinker. Uh, my whole life growing up, I drink, you know, back in high school, I started drinking Natty Light, and I just stuck with it. Yeah. And I still I still drink it to this day. I mean, I'm going hate on it all day, but I love the damn thing. But I will say this with me starting the whole, like I, I cracked open a beer on the, on a video one day and it, it just people loved it. And it kind of, that's how the whole drink beer by stocks thing happened. And uh, as I started doing that, more people started telling me, you need to try different beers, try this, try that. And as I did that, I'm like, wow, I have been missing out on some stuff my whole life now. So I'm fair. I'm very, very new to the craft beer space. I don't really know too much about verbiage and what stuff means, but the beer I'm drinking today, and I actually, I wanted to go with something local. I'm from St. Louis, Anheuser-Busch, but I did I went a different route. So I actually have a buddy of mine. Um, Brad, he's probably where you were at with Dubco back when you were in your garage, however many years ago that was. Uh, his name's Josh Shepard. You guys can follow him on Instagram, Josh Shepard 33 uh, He has a brewery that he's been starting up for a while now in his garage. And I, I texted him because I knew I was coming on here. And I said, "Hey, man, give me some beers. I want to drink. I want to show like a local brewery some love. Yeah. You know, he's a new startup guy. He's working his tail off. He's hustling. And I am drinking. He gave me a couple different ones to try, but right now I'm drinking a double IPA, and it says it's a it's a New England style. I'm not quite oh. sure what that means, but um, it's really good. I mean, it like really it? is. I do. I like it a lot. I'll tell you this. My favorite like craft beers to go to right now are hazy IPAs. Yeah, I don't know. Don't know if that's good or bad, but that's what I'm really. That's what like I." Really have been liking lately from all the different stuff I try. Sours are pretty good too. I like sours as
2: well. So my okay, brother, Taylor. okay, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor's been really getting into sours uh, lately as well. I like
1: sours. Max. Oh they're yeah, good, baby, man. they're really good. Brad, I'm
2: sure I'm sure you could fill him in on uh, the haze IPA craze, but that's that's good, man. The New England IPA, a uh, hazy IPA, that's awesome. Um, glad you like it. I mean, I don't know, Brad can fill you in on all that, but. Low, lower IBUs, lots of citrus. Um, yeah, you know. can you can do so much with
4: the New England, and I mean, it's one of those things when when you own a brewery or when you make beer, you have beer that you like to drink, you have beer that you like to make, and you have beer that everybody else likes to drink and you hate. I'll give a good example: making a pumpkin beer is the worst beer ever to make, whether it's a one gallon batch, whether it's a five gallon batch, whether it's, we have a 10 barrel brew house or I say, we, whenever I'm saying we, I'm, I'm no longer part of the brewery, but uh, the brewery I used to own, we had a 10, we have a 10 barrel, we have uh six, 10 barrels and five twenties. And to this day, pumpkin beer, like it's the word, but you have to make it. The, our pumpkin beer is called mandatory pumpkin. <laughs> because you, like, ha- you have to make a pumpkin beer, but we we got to the point where New England's w- became the same. Like they're delicious and they're great, and I actually I brought one to drink. But I think if you asked if you asked a thousand uh, cellarmen across the country, and you asked a thousand brewers across the nation, they're drinking lagers all day, oh yeah. every day. I, that was one of the greatest. When I went to Austin, when I went to Austin, Texas the greatest thing about going to Austin, Texas was the beer scene was not IPAs. It was all lagers and pilsners. And I was able to bar hop inside Austin and go to 10 different breweries and not be whacked. Not (laughs) because the fact of the matter is like whenever the, when the pint craze came about and 16 ounce cans came about and 10% and we, we, we did it. But at the end of the day, I mean, we're on the canning line at eight o'clock in the morning, drinking quote dented cans yeah, and, right. and and crooked labels. It's <laughs> nine o'clock in the morning, and then and then we started making lagers just for the brewers, and we called it the brewers beer. And and we were like, wait, I I can't drink an IPA. We're like, here, have have this, and yeah. that's how that's how the lager scene. But I mean, sours. Sours are one of the most beautiful artistic beers that you can make. And I think if we relate it to personal finance, it's the ultimate delayed gratification. When we were cool shipping, we were cool shipping a three barrel batch and just making a beer and knowing that you were not going to know the outcome for probably three years. And we started cool shipping when we were four years into the brewery. So we're literally like making beer that we didn't know if we were going to be able to drink that beer to the brewery was twice as old. But now the brewery is going to be seven years old in May, eight years old in May. And now we're doing amazing things with these sours. And my partner, Chris, who is still the head brewer over there, and I will argue that there's very, very few people in the nation that make quality beer like he does. He's He's a craftsman. He's a Cicerone. He's like, he does not mess around. But he just can do around, it. Hey, I, think, I think the, I think the one great thing that Chris is doing at Dubco is his ability to make every style of beer to the, to its highest potential, whether it's sours and we've always been, we've been wild ale fans. I mean, when, when you, when you call the local welder and you have to explain to him what a cool ship is so that he can make it for you. <laughs> and, right. and then he drops you off like a trough and we're like, okay, I, the, we'll figure out how to f- make this trough happen. We were all about Wild Ales. And, I mean, that's being up here in New England. Allagash is pretty north of me. But um, when, when we look at Allagash and another great brewery upstate New York, Common Roots, who's doing just incredible, cool shit Wild Ale beers, that yeah. was really, and like I said, that delayed gratification. Just tasting a beer. And I know, JJ, when I, gave him the, when I gave him the LIDAR that we made, and I'll send you guys one of them as well, just I don't think it's hard to really fathom that that beer is – Four years old, you know, that from the time we brewed it to the time it sat wild to the time it sat in barrels to the time it sat in bottles, like you don't fathom that a beer could be four years old and just be bang, bang. But yeah, I'll, I'll send you a LIDAR. I'll, Taylor, if you're into sours, I'll send you a LiDAR and you can give me your honest feedback because I don't work there anymore. So you can tell me shit if you want.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that. That's great. And it's great. It's great that you guys are doing those cool ships because everybody seems to be doing the quick uh, kettle sours, which are okay, but they don't have the depth of flavor. They don't have that passion that the cool ship stuff can have.
4: I can give you my honest opinion with, with um, kettle souring because we got a lot of flack for doing it early on. Like you're cheating, you're doing this and that just like anything in the brewery world, uh, kettle souring, it, it, it has its purpose. It has, uh, it has a very, very – and it has a great purpose. And there's a very big difference between home brewing and commercial brewing. When you have to have a product and you have timelines and you have things like that, kettle souring is great. If you're going to be masking it with flavorings it's kind of like how you can make a shitty mixed drink with a cheap vodka because it doesn't really matter because you're going to mask it with a bunch of other things. You just need the vodka. It, it, when you kettle sour and you know you're going to put it in a barrel and you're going to put it on fruit and you're going to age it in certain ways and you're going to add lacto and brett later – you can get that foundation of a kettle sour. And I don't think that makes you any less of a brewer. I mean, some of the best beers that we ever made that were sour were kettle soured. And if we didn't tell anybody, they would be like, great. It's, it's only until you tell people and then, and then the, and then the, the beer snobs of the world, the the Brooklyn fam, they, they want to come around and say, Oh, now that we know it's a kettle sour, now it's a shitty beer. Uh, But there's, there's something to be said for both. I I think having just a raw kettle sour beer It's hard to make right and it's kind of a little artificial, but like it still serves its purpose, especially in the commercial brewing space. But cool ships, cool ships, the way to go. Like if you don't have, if you don't have cool temperatures and that's the other thing, like some brewers can't do it. You know, it's, you have to have the right temperatures. And up here in New England, we have like certain spots of the year and we watched the weather and it was like, it was one of those things you couldn't plan. You had you had all of the the right beers. You had all the materials there. You had all of your aged hops there, your two-year-old hops. And you were like, hey, as soon as we get two days in a row between 30 and 40 degrees, we got to go. And whether it's 3 in the morning, 4 in the morning, 10 in the afternoon, we, we got to go. We got to go. And that was some of the beauty of it, too. Like, put your wives to bed. Sorry, sweetheart. We own a brewery, and we got a cool ship right fucking now.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah, I think it's like a double-edged sword with the hazy IPAs because I think it's... It's helped um, bring a lot more people into craft beer. So I think breweries are able to be more successful, maybe a bit easier. Yeah, no, definitely. More easily. Um, there's just, you know, this huge influx of, of new. Uh-oh.
4: Yeah, it's definitely, it's created good. And like I said, from a business standpoint, it it, it brings on a whole new business. Like, uh, you think about all the steps and all the people necessary to make a great beer, from the brewers all the way down to the hop farmers. And if there's one thing that New England IPAs did is create these amazing hops and and create, you know, hop pellets and hop powders and all these things. So, from a commercial standpoint, I love New England IPAs mostly because of the amount of business that they brought to the beer industry. They definitely brought in a bunch of new people, but I think if we look at it from an economy standpoint, one of the best parts about having the brewery was knowing how many people we put to bed every night and they didn't have to worry about, you know, paying their bills and they didn't have to worry about anything. And when we had great upstate hop farmers and, and the New York initiatives really brought on these farmers and we were able to buy whole flower hops and people that had been growing corn their whole life or were dairy farmers that were now growing hops I think that was the best part, because anybody can get corn and make a lager. We can get rice and make a lager. It's not that you know it's not that big of a deal, but the I think the best like hidden secret behind the whole new England i p a craze was the amount of jobs and the amount of businesses that it opened up for economies and and it allowed people to and it allowed some farmers that maybe you know were having problems with their old cash crops up here in New England and new york state uh we have hops that are just exploding. It's not just about Mount Hood anymore and it's not just about Boise, Idaho. We're creating hops all over the country which is all, you know, a direct relation to the the New England IPA craze.
2: Yeah, it's good uh good for everybody. I missed part of that. Sorry about that. I don't know what happened. My I had to switch Wi-Fi networks. <laughs> How many Wi-Fi networks do you have?
4: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no doubt, man. Are you on your neighbors right now? How do I get myself on the dual Wi-Fi? John's on a whole nother level than we are, boys. (laughs) (laughs) I got a simple one Wi-Fi system over here. Yeah, I don't know.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. know. It's a big secret.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I can't talk about that right now. But it's no. no, But uh, but to bring JJ into this, it's it's so fun to like like be beer nerds and stuff and. JJ and I, when we started talking about beer and he started getting into it, and like he said, he's kind of new to the craft beer scene. I think, and I'm not speaking for JJ. You can chime in here, but but where he is in in rural Missouri, there aren't these amazing craft breweries popping up. And it wasn't like JJ was avoiding craft beer. Like when he walked into the brewery, he was like, Oh my God, what? Like, this is a real place.
3: (laughs) No, it's for real, man. I mean, like, yeah, like, so like I live in a town of like 500 people. Um, so like there's nothing really around here. Like there's breweries around to be like, but you got to drive quite a bit of distance. There is. So there is a restaurant I go to, but I think they brew their beer somewhere else. Like where I went with Brad's, like the actual brewery, like where yeah. you go to sip, like there, uh, there's nothing like that really close to me. I mean, if I go up to St. Louis, there's, there's stuff like that, but um, I'm not up in the city that much to be, to be honest. So, I am new. I got I'm excited though, because I'm excited to learn I'm always excited to learn something new and try different stuff and and find something that I really like. So I don't know.
2: Um, yeah, it's uh, it's a lot uh, of fun. I can, can really new. Yeah. I keep pointing the wrong way, but my my brother, I mean, he's he's kind of a new beer guy. And we've been doing the show for a couple years now, so he's he's had all kinds of uh all kinds of crazy you know, um, tree houses and
1: I've had so much stuff that I don't even remember what it was and, same, uh, and, and I got to
4: ask as a brewery owner, do you guys use untapped?
1: They used to, I don't know if they still do or not. I've never,
0: I done. used, I used to use it for my own personal log. Right. Um, I stopped when we started doing the podcast cause it was like, we're trying to podcast and I'm trying to check in and I'm like, ah, just forget about it. I remember the whole, the whole starting of the rating thing, it was like, cool, but then we're like, ah, just, let's just drink. Let's I mean, not worry I, about
4: it. I, th- I got to feel like I was on there so early. I mean, we started the brewery in 2015, but we were drinking craft beer. We we were brewing beer in our basement for like six years before that. But I remember we had like rules, like 10 ounce pours only and this, that, and the other thing. No, yeah. and it became like a competition and then it became, <laughs> but then you become a brewer and you're like, fuck you asshole <laughs> yeah, <right? laughs> you know like like somebody who would be like hate stouts one
0: one one and I'm, and like, a half caps.
4: I'm like I'm like bitch it, that's an amazing
0: sound just because you don't like it doesn't mean it's a bad yeah. beer I like it's the funny. uh it, it's really good for a lager 3.25 like <laughs> so <laughs> a lager can be a five it's
4: okay to have a five lager the crazy thing is you think that like nobody matter- matters, but we still distribute to Tavor. I don't know if you know what Tavor is, but mm-hmm. um, we distribute to them, and when we first started with Tavor, they would not take a beer that was rated under four. I mean, granted, we've created a relationship with them, and now yeah. they know, and they're going to be distributing a beer for JJ and I pretty soon when we would do a collab with Dubco, but oh, yeah, no, they, they, and even beer distributors, when we were going out trying to pitch our beer initially, and it was two guys walking in, and we were driving around in my pickup truck, we'd be like, Hey, we got this beer. And they'd be like, hold on. And you'd see them like turn around, like go on untapped and look at it. So I, I'm just curious. Cause I've been out of that. So, so long now I just drink beer, but Steve, I understand exactly what you're saying because there was so many, like we'd go to a craft beer bar and then we drank, we drink 10 great beers and five bad ones. And we'd get wake up the next morning and be like, What the fuck do we? What was that beer that 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 we drank last night? Go, JJ.
3: I gotta ask this real quick. So, Taylor, what did you drink before coming on to the craft beer scene? Bud Light Lime all day, (laughs) all all day, all day. In the can. Do you like in the can? I love it in the can. In
1: the can, the bottle, the tap, whatever I could find. If it was, it, it that's. Still to this day, one of my favorite so, beers.
3: So me and Taylor are tight this whole podcast
0: episode.
1: <laughs> Dude, I was going to say, man, I can relate to you. Uh, you know, as the listeners of the show know, these guys have taken me on a amazing journey with beer. And uh, I've, I've really gotten into it. I was in the beer distributor today. Uh, shout out to uh, Katie down at the Thorndale Beverage she helped me out finding some stuff. I mean, I still don't know what I'm looking for. I just kind of go in there and use keywords like, ah, I'm in the mood for a stout today. I want to try a stout today, or I want to get another sour for my wife and I and blah, blah, blah. You know? So like, I, I'm, I'm still like a kid in a toy shop. When I go into one of these places, I'm like, I don't know what I'm looking for. Just point me in a direction. That label looks cool. And boom. And we used to rate beers on this show. You're talking about, you know, people not liking beers and giving it a terrible rating here. I am this new guy who can't understand any of this crap I have a legendary beer like a King Sue and I'm on this show being like this tastes like cat piss and like you know what I mean so but that that was kind of the element of it of of not knowing anything about it so it's I'll tell
4: you this though it was much better to get knocked with a comment like the worst was like somebody would leave you a one star and no comment like at least tell me how I fucked this up like, at least tell me why because we we love feedback. We loved it, you know? And uh that was the worst too, like not giving not but then again, you'd read it like I hate sours like why did you buy the beer it says wild ale? Like why did you fucking buy the beer if if it's that if it, if you don't like wild and then and then give it a one star rating?
0: Yeah, I See think, I I always, I I am not a big fan of smoked beers and I'm not a big fan of coconut beers. So whenever I would try one, I would check it in, but I would not rate it. I make a beer. Well, I
4: don't make it anymore. Chris makes a beer called the science of selling pina coladas. Steve, I will fucking change your mind. (laughs) You can try
1: (laughs) challenge accepted.
4: If you have untapped on your phone, look up right now. The science of selling pina coladas. Bang,
2: bang. It's, it's kind of it's stupid, but um, I, I was in on tapped all the time and I was at a brewery. I, I used to before COVID traveled a lot for work. So I got to go to all these awesome towns and cities around the country and I would go find local brew pubs and, um, you know, bottle shops, tap rooms, whatever I can. And I was sitting there with my face in my phone, looking up the beer, typing something in. And I just looked up around me and music was playing and people were having a good time. And I'm like, why am I spending so much effing time on my phone and just enjoy myself and the beer and the atmosphere and the experience of it instead of playing with my phone? So I kind of just gave up on it and um, stopped checking things in. And sometimes I wish I didn't because I'd be curious what my numbers are as far as beers and stuff like that. But I don't know, man, I'm over it. I was personally, right. I, know, I, I get it, and I don't knock anybody that does it because, you know, I'm it's glad t- Brett every once in a while checks checks in for me or gives me a little uh, or tags me in a post when we crack something together.
4: It's what I tell my students when they're always on fucking Instagram at concerts. Like I'm like, guys, you know, live life, don't document it. You know, sometimes you need to go to a brewery. Sometimes you need to go to a, a craft beer bar. Sometimes you n- need to walk into a beer distributor and you have to be willing I, one thing i'd say to tell you got to be willing to try bad beers too there's there's nothing wrong with trying bad beers cuz there's there's some bad ones out there but some of the best beers i ever had were going outside my comfort zone and just being like eh, or asking the bartender like what do you drink and bartenders hate that they hate like bartender's choice you know i used to give i used to give people the keg we were trying to get rid of when they asked me that but like there's there's something to be said for like and that's and that's what I liked when JJ came because I knew he had never tried a wild ARB, ALB before. And I, yeah. but I knew that if I handed it to him, he was going to give it a shot.
1: Yep. So <laughs> no, yeah. yeah I, I,
4: I've tried everything
1: <laughs> that, that these guys have put in front of me. And I'm glad that I have because I've had stuff that I didn't like, but like, I'm not a double IPA guy. I'm not an IPA guy really. Uh, but if I didn't try it, I would have never discovered dinner uh, from, from Maine brewing. I, I like, there's yep. so many other ones that I can't think of the name of right now, but like, yeah. Did I've had know? I've had quite a few really, really, really good beers. Um I've also had some very terrible ones that John really likes. So
4: have you had I, Bell's have you ever had Bell's Too Hearted before?
1: Probably. John have that I was ever like, had Bells That was two-hearted. like my
4: when I had dinner, like that was like a great shock to me, just like Bell's uh, too hard it was. And when Bell's finally made it to New York, and I remember a couple of craft beer bars finally got Bell's because they finally distributed to us. That was like a magical night. I must have had, <laughs> I had,
2: me, I had 20, 20 of those that night. What are you drinking, John? So the three of us are drinking the same beer. Brad, if you're like a real beer guy, I would love, I, I got to send you some of these guys' beers. I will trade, yeah, guy we'll trade. Yeah, we'll send some at East Branch. I mean, they're a, they're like a old-school type brewer, like everything's traditional German styles for the most part. Um, this one is a dry-hopped rye pale ale. Which was spicy, a little spicy.
4: That rye, that rye will get you spicy.
0: It's got a little spice to it. Really I think good. the balance on it is just perfect. Like, there's a little bit of rye. There's a little bit of spice. You can still get some hop notes into it. It's an easy drinker. I think it's really got a great balance to it. Steve, would we you say would you say classic? We used to, to love using classic?
4: rye. We used to love using rye to knock down the bitterness. Like if a beer was a little too malty, we'd throw in some rye. It would knock that down and level out the sweetness of that malt. But you could still raise the ABV up. Like rye malt is like a little hidden gem. If if you have a huge ABV beer and you have a ton of malt in there, we had a beer called Sore Thumb, and we worked on that beer for years, and it was a big West Coast. So really, really not a lot of, ho- not a lot of hops. It was People would call it a malt bomb, especially people that were looking for a New England. We started trickling in some rye there. <sighs> Bounces out really, really nice. Uh,
3: By the uh, this way, go ahead. No, go ahead, Steve. I was just going to say John's on his sixth Wi-Fi connection yeah, right he's, now. <laughs> he's back in the back There he is.
1: Back in the back cave.
3: His kid's in the back fucking
0: with him. He has kids. God, you yeah. with your wifi. Yeah.
1: Mr. Steve, would you say this is an instant classic, dude?
2: It's pretty darn close. It's pretty
1: close.
2: I am usually all over Gov's you-know-what, but um, <laughs> I'm not feeling this for some reason tonight. I don't know if it's my palate. Um, maybe I got early connection. onset covid it's your Wi Fi. Yeah, <laughs>
1: that's what it is. It's your Wi Fi. Lost your goddamn mind.
2: It's, it's drinking a little light, a little. Um, it's a pale a ale. I, I do like the spice. It's a pale ale. You know, it is what it is. It's delicious.
1: It's really good. I I like it. It's, it's Wi Fi. It's not too bitter. It's 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 really. I always say fucking clean. It's like the first thing that comes to mind. I'm sorry, everybody. It's fucking clean. It tastes clean. It feels good when I drink it.
3: It's delicious. It's better than just it tastes good. That's what I always go to. It's I was like, "Oh, this tastes pretty good." It's <laughs> Good. Said, <laughs> so, "Yeah, this is really clean." And then somebody G-d- was like, wow, would be like, basically, basically,
0: basically, basically dirty. yeah, basically. basically." I love this
2: <laughs> beer. There's nothing. Brad, I want to get you back on. I want to talk to. I don't know how we're going to do it exactly, but I'd like to have a couple uh, Ciceronis on the show. And um... yeah, I I have that. What do you want to talk about? <laughs> well, no, just I. I think we should drink the same beer on the show and you tell us, you know, a well-trained palate what we're tasting because... Can I tell you about I'm the Cicerone test? You i had a thousand beers? What, can, I tell you about the,
4: can I tell you about the Cicerone test? Yeah, So the Cicerone test, so they have different levels, right? So you could take the, they have a, a beer server and then they had like the level three. So Chris and I, we're not really like we're two different learners. So when we had the brewery, we were two different types. I'm like educational. Like I'm book study. Like I can do flashcards and, and learn stuff. Yeah. Chris was like run of the mill. And we were very, very lucky that we have one of the highest level Cicerones that lived in the in the area. And Chris and I were getting ready to go uh, take this test. And at the brewery, we used to have off-flavor tasting events through the Cicerone program. And we'd show people different things. And it, it was great. So Chris and I are getting ready to go take our Cicerone live. And we have this guy come in he gives us the taste test. So it's like a, a written part and then there's a tasting part. He comes in and he's like, I'm going to give you, you know, a very gentle taste. You know, i only, I won't show you what to expect. And Chris and I had been practicing kind of, we, we bombed it that night before. So like we went, we went into the day, like we're going to ace this. And after he <laughs> le- after he left, I was like, I don't even know what fucking beer tastes like. I I can't identify any off flavors whatsoever. And it was just so happened. So we took the test, and while we're taking the written test, there was eight people in the room that took it. We took it in Brooklyn. And they were pouring out the beers for the the tasting in the front of the bar. We took it in like a local bar, sitting right in the sun. And if you're studying, like you know, like, oh, light struck, that's so bad. And I said to Chris, I like whispered over, I'm like, that's definitely Killian's. And as an Irish guy, I've been drinking Killian's in the backwoods, warm, cold, light struck. I've been drinking Killian's my whole life. I knew what was a good Killian's and I see them dropping into the Killian's. I'm like, this is so, this is so badass. So it sits there. It comes into the back. Long story short, I bombed the taste test but I aced the written test. Chris bombed the written test, but aced the drink. <laughs> I'm like yeah. together. Then this is the partner. This is
3: why you got to go partners. Perfect business partners.
4: You got to go in. But later on, Chris did pass the writing because, but I'll tell you this, I, I, I have no problem admitting it, especially now. They, they um, So Dusseldorf, Germany is where a very, very popular beer style is made. And like one of the part twos is like, you know, where is this made? And I was like, it, it was just a disaster. If you're going to take the Cicerone test, know that you're probably going to fail. And that's not, it's not a pushover. Like we knew our shit and we both failed the first time. Chris passed. He's a level three Cicerone. Maybe, I think Yeah, maybe level four, but all flavor tasting is super important and you can buy the can. And I, I ramble on about the story because you guys, you guys can buy the off flavor tasting kits and do them with your local beers. And they, they come in like little droplets where you can drop a little bit and you can learn these different off flavors. And you could the worst part about it though, is we'd go to our local beer. We go to our local uh, bars and we'd be like, they don't clean their lines. They definitely don't clean or they store their kegs warm like that. It was kind of like when, you know, too much. Oh, wow. So it was one of those things where, like, you definitely want to know what's going on, but when you know too much, it's almost worse. Like when you're like, you you know, when you go to the stadium and all the beer tastes like popcorn, it's all buttery, you know, and then you're like, all right, this is just bad beer. But then when you know what's really in it, you're like, ee, I'm never gonna, I never drink draft beer anymore anywhere because, like, you know, too much.
2: I, I, I think it's, I think it's, um, for sure. Like, I heard people, um, talk about how it's. You know the studying is and how how much they take it seriously. So, I, don't know, I, I will for as many beers as I've had, I probably describe them exactly like JJ. Like, a little sweet, or I get you know this one tastes a little like orange juice, and that's about the of my vocabulary. I think that's that would just be exciting. That's I would love to do, to do These, these brewers. Uh, yeah, I would just like to do these brewers justice when I'm sipping on a beer and, and say, like, you know, oh, I'm getting this and this and blah, blah, blah. So, I don't know. You Mr. Do Steve, then. what do you have? Are you Are you double-nugging that?
0: No, I'm still finishing up the first one. I think we should do the uh, Evan Stout right. next.
3: I wholeheartedly agree because yeah, I'm already before on we go it. Let's go double-nug. I'm on yeah.
4: it. JJ, what else? JJ, what You're else you got? It? JJ, what are you
3: I'm drinking a pastry ale. It's aged on mixed berries and vanilla. Who's berries? Mixed berries. Oh, I thought you said Mike's berries. I was like, that's, I thought it said disgusting. Nick. Nick berries. Nick's berries. <laughs> Nick's berries. <laughs> oh, that's disgusting.
4: <laughs> John, oh, John vanished on us. I still got. A, I still got a high life. I'm gonna finish this champagne and be uh, here. Br- dude, it. The, br- high the, br- life the is- br- yeah, the brewers drink lagers, man.
3: <laughs> High
1: Life is a classic. That's an instant classic. I think we had, did,
2: Mr. Oh, Steve, didn't we have High Life on the show once before?
1: We had
0: High Life at some
1: point. It was like one of the things where we were doing like all the different kinds uh, of beer, right? we were right?
2: doing the uh, GABF.
1: Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I've heard It's of a that. champagne of beer, beer dude. Styles. It's like perfect beer.
4: GABF is, have you guys been to GABF? It's one of those things where it sounds like a great idea until you get off the plane. <laughs> <laughs> and it sucks the whole time? JJ, the Great American Beer Festival is, no, it's like uh, it's like when you're 35, 40 years old and you go to an EDM concert and you think it's going to be a good time and then you realize you're way too, you're, you're, that, like, you're that old dude at a high school party. Like GABF, I couldn't hang. I thought I was a drinker. And then, and then you just you you go to all these breweries and it's all these tours and it, I I couldn't hang, I I couldn't I I couldn't hang.
3: <laughs> Not saying something because I've seen Brad drinking, <laughs> drink a lot,
2: dude. <laughs> <laughs> AJ, let's get you back in the mix here because I'm I, I want to get into to investing a bit. I yeah. have a lot of questions. I think the first thing, if we can do it, um. In a condensed version, maybe is tell us what happened with Wall Street Bets, GME, AMC, yeah. Blackberry, Nokia, all the yeah. crazy shit that was going on that week. Doge. How Ditto. many hours how many hours do you have, John? How many hours do you have?
0: <laughs> I wanna I, I just wanna piggyback on that. Should I have bought all those Radio Shack's stocks? <laughs> was that, that? was. Was
4: that what I was supposed to get? Yeah.
3: And, and blockbuster. That's. I got the blockbuster last <laughs> week. Yeah. 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 <laughs> before
4: oh, JJ. Before JJ goes, I will say this, and this is what I tell my brother: if if you don't follow it every day, by the time you hear about it, it's too late.
3: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's. It's. So, man, where do I even start? So first, let me say this. Shorting a stock. I want to explain what shorting a stock means before I get into this lingo. And I'm gonna I really do want to keep it layman's terms. And guys, like to be honest, like I'm no expert in the stock market, so I'm just I'm I'm relaying the information here how I know it. We've and been hitting
4: you with weird beer shit and that you have no idea what we're talking about. So feel true, free. True. Just like, what, 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 what's he talking <laughs> about?
3: No, I mean, so what what happened in in the real quick long story short is that So GameStop was being shorted by hedge funds, big institutions, and whenever you short a stock, real simple, what it means is when you go to buy a stock, you buy a stock through a broker. You have to go through a broker to buy a stock. Maybe that's like, you know, Fidelity, uh, Charles Schwab, TD Ameritrade, whatever. So these hedge funds are using a broker, and when they short a stock, they borrow shares from a broker. So, for example, let's say they're going to borrow shares. The current share price is $10, right? And then what they want to happen is they want that that stock price to go down in value. So when that stock price goes down in value, so let's say the stock price dropped to five bucks, they take those shares that they borrowed from that broker. They give them back. They give them back to the the broker themselves, and then they recoup the difference. So they make five bucks if they bought one if they borrowed one share, sell it to the market at ten bucks, and then they're borrowing it. And then whenever are they? You know, they sell back to the market. It goes down in value by five dollars. They give it back to the broker. They reap the difference in between that. So it's a five dollar profit they make. You're
2: pretty much betting against the company. Absolutely. And GameStop makes sense, right? I mean, everything's gone digital. You don't have to buy discs as often anymore. I mean, it's like Blockbuster. You see, you see the the dinosaur. The time's coming. So here is the thing. Yeah, shorting happens all the time, and like,
3: right. I mean, there is nothing wrong with shorting. But here is what here is what the problem is. So these companies, right? What they were doing is they were overshorting GameStop. So let's say a hundred percent of GameStop shares are available, and you these institutions, these these uh, big hedge funds were shorting over a hundred percent of the shares. So they were shorting more shares than were even available. So when Wall Street bets found that out, mm. they saw, oh, what's going on here? Some, something's. And I will say this: the hedge funds know exactly what they were getting into. They knew the risk they were taking. And let's be honest, these guys do this for a living. They've been trained. They've gone to college for it. They know the risk that they were taking on when they did this. So the fact that GameStop was overshorted by, I can't remember off the top of my head right now, let's say 150%. Well, what happens is whenever stock prices start to go up that you're trying to short, you have an infinite amount of loss that can happen because you're you're buying these stocks, you're borrowing these stocks on on margin. And what margin means is you're basically like It's like taking out a loan to buy stocks or to short stocks, is what it what it means. Like when you go take out a loan to buy a car, when you're buying on margin, you're taking out a loan to trade stocks. So what happens is is when the stock price goes up, these hedge funds start to lose money because the price is going up. They have to give it back to the broker at a larger price and they have to pay the difference. So the bad part about that is as the stock price started getting higher and higher and higher and higher. That's more money that these hedge funds were losing on a daily basis. And all this was on margin. So they were—they literally could have gotten an infinite amount of loss. That's the scary part about that. And this is millions, <laughs> of billions of dollars we're talking about here. So then what happened was, and Brad, you may have to step in a little bit here because I know you watched that video. There's a couple of videos about the clearing systems. I missed all that. But back whenever my live streams were going on, what happened was is Robinhood stopped tr- stopped buying stock. So so no one else could come into the broker of Robinhood, of Webull, other real popular apps of the Wall Street best re- users were using. No one could buy the stock anymore. So what happens is, go back to simple like supply and demand, right? When there is a high demand for something, the price is gonna go up. When there's a low supply demand for something, your, your price is gonna go down. There's a higher supply of it, right? So when, when no one can buy the stock, people are going to sell off because they're like, oh, well, I can't buy anymore. So there's no one I else to go higher. Yeah, absolutely. So then the stock price falls down. At, and, and here's the here's the shitty part about this. I had a couple options trades open and I was up over about ten, a little over 10 grand in one day.
4: Have you guys ever heard of greed before?
3: Have you ever heard of greed? Here it don't, comes. don't even get me started, Brad. Here it comes you want, you no. guys ever hear about greed? Gordon Snow coming in. <laughs> no, listen though. No. Pre market on Thursday morning, AMC, GameStop, Nokia, BlackBerry, the Major Four were all way up pre market. And they were going to keep going higher. Why do you think all the brokerages stopped buying on it? So what I, my plan was is as the as the as the prices went higher on Thursday, I was going to get out and I probably would honestly I, I bet I could have doubled my more on top of my 10 grand in profits. I probably could have pulled out at twenty K. You boy told you to sell. I don't even want to hear it. (laughs) (laughs) So the unthinkable happens, right? Robinhood shuts us out. All buyers can no longer buy any stocks, right? So I'm sitting here like, what in the hell is... I'm live streaming as it's happening. And I'm like, no one can buy anything. No one can buy. No one can get in. And of course, what happens when no one can buy? The demand's not there. So the supply's higher. So the price is going to go down. Now, as stuff's been coming out, there has been a little bit more of an understanding, just like anything is as, the, as time goes on, people start hearing more. So that what at first we were hearing is the clearing houses were telling Robin hood, Webull and these other apps to stop trading because there's a, there's a process behind this. That's pretty advanced and you can like, go ahead, Brad, take it over from here. So I'll,
4: I'll put it in pretty layman's terms. What happened exactly? And why Robin hood was the scapegoat in all of this. If you've seen oceans 11, Right? Oh, they were
3: gonna,
4: OK, they were going to rob the casino on Fight Night because mm-hmm. the casinos need to have a certain amount of money to back all the chips in their casino.. Yep. And on a Fight night, they double those chips. OK? So J.J mentioned what a clearing house is. So when you are a buyer and a seller, there's somebody in between you called the exchange. That was Robin Hood. But now Robinhood can't ensure that the buyer's not going to default. So they bring in something called a clearinghouse. Now the clearinghouse says, okay, you have X amount to cover that. We need some insurance that we're going to call margin on all of those buys. Now for a general trading, that's like 10%. So if there's $1,000 done, they're like, all right, you need to deposit $100 into our clearinghouse to cover those buyers in case they default. What happened with Robinhood and GameStop was a majority of these beginner traders were trading on Robinhood. They weren't trading on, nobody was buying GameStop on Vanguard, Fidelity, Charles Schwab. It didn't happen because this was happening in a community of of millennials and a community that was trading on Robinhood. So essentially, when the volatility of this stock, that's what drives that margin rate that the clearinghouses were charging Robinhood, When the volatility went fucking crazy, it went from, all right, we need 10% deposits to 100% deposits. Yeah. And Robinhood just flat out didn't have the money. They don't have the money in their bank account. They they don't have it. So the the clearinghouse was no longer able to ensure to the seller that the buyer was going to be able to back that transaction. So the clearinghouse shut Robinhood down. Now, what that looked like on paper, obviously, and I was one of those people was, that Robinhood was colluding with all of the other hedge funds. Like, why would Robinhood be doing this? And it wasn't Weibo and it wasn't all the others. It, it, the fact of the matter was, there wasn't as much volume. So well, hang the on. Clear, the clear, hold on. The clearinghouses weren't worried about... the are getting pumped up here. <laughs> <laughs> the clearing, I'm playing devil's advocate. The the clearinghouses weren't worried about the big brokerage because that's not where the volume was. But when Robinhood said, I can't make those deposits, clearing, the clearinghouse said... I'm not going to be able to fulfill those transactions. You need to stop. And we were not they weren't worried about the seller, which is why you were able to continue to sell off, but you could not buy, frankly, because Robinhood did not have the money to back that up. Is it effed up? Yeah. Should yes. they have had their ducks in a row? Yes. Absolutely. But the whole conspiracy that they were colluding with hedge funds... It's a bullshit. It's a bullshit, bullshit. statement. Well, well, hang on. Let me let me no to quote, to quote my cousin Vinny. It's a bullshit excuse, <laughs> like you know. Like, no. So
3: let me tell you why, real quick. Let me tell you why this 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 why people thought this. So these clearinghouses, right, are mostly backed by hedge funds, and one of the major hedge funds that was backed by one of these clearinghouses is Melvin Capital mm-hmm. and and Centradale. And what happens is, so these that Melvin Capital is one of the largest hedge funds that was shorting GameStop speaking truth so you look at that and you're like okay wow it makes sense. they want you to stop because they want their their backing their hedge fund that backs them to you know minimize their losses give them a day to figure out what they're going to do because the stock is flying to the moon and you see like short squeeze happenings and stuff too which is like people who are trying to short the stock as the price goes up they have to buy it back which in return they're usually using millions of dollars sometimes you know just a lot of money, and then when that floods into the market on that single stock, that's why that stock price shoots up, because there's a lot more money going into the market in, which is a return, decreasing the supply available, so when you short squeeze and you have to buy back to cover your losses, that's why that price keeps going higher and higher and higher. It was a, it was a matter of
4: unfortunate events. You know, like when you're dating a new girl and your ex-girlfriend walks into the party and you know she was going to show up and you're like, shit, and then everyone thinks you're an asshole? That's <laughs> what happened to Robin Hood.
2: So do Robin, I, Dick is, What do you think... Yet? What do you think would have happened if Robin Hood never shut down? Where, if they had had the billions and
4: billions and billions of dollars to back that up, we would have made a lot of money. We would have. We would have made a lot of money going to the moon. We would have we made a lot more money. And oh, yeah. like I said, I, a full disclosure, I lost too. I didn't lose as much as JJ did. And we had a group on our podcast called the 129ers on January 29th, mm-hmm. which was the Friday after that when a lot of our, exp- our options expired. Yeah, I, I got screwed out of a bunch of money, and there's a lot of what ifs. And like I said, the boomer in me plays devil's advocate. On Wednesday, when we were all up, we could have pressed the sell button, but we assumed... And that's the, the reason why we're angry. We assume that on Thursday with all of our things in line, especially like JJ and I both being engineers, we looked at statistics we're like, yeah, it can't stop that much. It might go down, but our, our returns are going to go from 10 grand to nine grand, but they did things that were out of our control, which made our 10 grand go to zero in an instant. Yeah. So th- it made us angry we but like in the in the aftermath, we understand what they did, but it was still fucked up. Like you still need to have your ducks in a row. And like this is guys, this Hang is on. the average money podcast. If you ever yeah, this is no. what JJ I,
3: I wanna I want to say something real quick though, that Brad said it. He Brad mentioned if Robin Hood would have had millions, we would have made a killing. But if we would have if Robin Hood wouldn't have done anything, Robinhood would have went bankrupt and there would be no more Robin
2: Hood. Right. And and everybody full- would have everybody would have gone. With, with, with the stock and then sold. In and there'll be no more Robinhood. Like, and like I said, and
4: people yeah. want to be mad at Robinhood. I'm mad at Robinhood. But like <laughs> if 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 you put emotions aside, like you kind of understand, like I, did, I didn't leave Robinhood. I mean, JJ and I have both done videos and we've both talked about how we don't have our primary brokerages in an app. And I think if you're a normal human being with a, with a sense of knowledge, you'd understand why we don't want to put a lot of money into an app. But- sure. Their user face and their interface is so glorious. It's so easy to use. Really it's nice. great for beginners. It's great for using on YouTube to show people. And like I said, it's more It's more what they did was effed up. They didn't do anything illegal. We signed the terms and conditions. We knew what they could do. Like I said, it, it, it's more of an. F, what they did was effed up more than illegal. And it stings us because we're like... We're like, shit, we could have made a lot. We want to point the finger. I mean, that's our culture of today's society. We want to go around and point fingers at everybody else. It's never our own fault. Like there's, no, there's no self-accountability anymore. But it sucks, man, what they did. Because it is true. Regardless of how much I want to defend, I, I'm just playing devil's advocate. If they wouldn't have suspended trading, the situation would have been exponentially different and it would have been exponentially different in the favor of a lot of people. And I would have made more money. (laughs) Not the the people that found out about it Monday. JJ and I were talking about this weeks before. Like if you were in wall street bets and you were following this like deep fucking value, he has been talking about GameStop since July. The dude was down fifty three thousand dollars, and we were making fun of him on games on on Wall Street bets. We were making fun of him, and then on Wednesday when he was up thirty three million dollars, people started listening, and now he's a local legend. Yeah, you know. But it, the, the hindsight's always twenty twenty, right?
2: Sure. I'll, I'll give you guys my take as as an outsider, somebody that's not a financial guy. Um, how things went down with me in particular. I I'm I'm seeing the headlines. I'm seeing the stuff in my newsfeed. I start Googling stuff. I find you guys. I'm live streaming stuff. I immediately set up Robin Hood and Weeble accounts. JJ, I'm pretty sure I used your links. I said, did you use somebody's link to get some free stocks? <laughs> yeah. So I got I got the free stocks and um and I dump money in and then I can't do anything. You know, it's like the money's there, but I don't have the buying power yet. And I'm waiting for things and, and I'm watching AMC GameStop. I'm about to make, make these buys. You know, I'm thinking like, you know, do I, do I do an option? Do I, do I just straight up buy, buy stocks? What am I going to do? And I'm, I'm literally watching for the first time, a a, you know, in a one day frame, whatever you want to call it, even down to an hour, the stock going like this and I never put any money into anything. John hindsight. That was probably the best thing that could have happened. So like I have this because money the people that out. the
4: people that got in two hours before you, when they could have, they lost.
2: Yeah. The only thing I did is I put money into Doge. That's a oh, good changes,
3: thing. Changes that shit. I got sold out. I did.
2: It's going up. Hood, I put money in Doge and I'm up. We'll see what happens. See, I got I have I have a Bitcoin at seven thousand dollars.
4: And it's like, but the door like people were talking about the Dogecoin and I'm texting JJ during the live stream, like, what the fuck are these guys talking about? And he's like, he's texting me back going, I don't know, but they keep mentioning it, but I'm gonna buy it. <laughs> you know, like like on the major brokerages that we're using for crypto, you couldn't even buy it. So I'm like, What what is going on with the Dogecoin? And it's <laughs> I have a Was it it's, I think it's trading at like 7 cents now yeah. and we got in at like 2 cents JJ. What are you in? Almost You're in at
2: 2 cents? I'm out of it.
3: Oh, you got out. Nope.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I I uh, you know, I've got um Coinbase, I think and and I've got like a little bit of Bitcoin and Ethereum and uh and Litecoin. Actually, I think I tr- I put all my Litecoin into Ethereum last week cuz I don't see Litecoin doing much but I don't but I watched was it you JJ or did you did you put a video up of some other guy talking about how Bitcoin is part of Ethereum, is part of Doge, and they're all kind of related. And, no, and, I don't know. They're
4: only no. related because they're crypto, but they all very, very different.
3: Yeah. So, like, that wasn't me, but uh, I will say this: for my crypto investments, I'm a hundred percent in Bitcoin. That's where my crypto is. Um, I and I do that because I I really do feel like Bitcoin is a and this and I bought Bitcoin back in 2017. Um, you know, back whenever the crazies were up, you know, oh, sure. up, up, uh, yeah, up to like 20,000. Okay, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then it had the big sell off. I just, I just held it. I didn't do anything with it. I was like, I still see the value here because I really looked into the technology and I really do think, and now we're starting to see these institute. you know, Elon Musk just put $1.5 billion on Tesla's balance sheet. Now we're seeing, you know, MasterCard talking about being able to do transactions with Bitcoin. I really do see the 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 future of bitcoin now do i think here here's my personal opinion am i ever going to go buy you know a tesla with my bitcoin no probably not because the the as of right now because of the current the 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 how fast the price can go up and down i wouldn't want to risk that i wouldn't want to i would i see bitcoin being as a store of value Kind of like yeah. how we treat gold, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. I see Bitcoin being the new gold. Now, will people yeah. do transactions with Bitcoin? Absolutely. Am I going to do that? As of right now, with the volatility being where it's at, no. I wouldn't want to give up thirty, forty thousand dollars 40000 of Bitcoin and then it, it shoot up another 20% because, you know, PayPal comes out and says, hey, we just added another $2 billion on our balance sheet. You know, yeah. I wouldn't want to risk that. So I would rather pay with my dollars that I know what the value is and is actually a you know an asset that you know the dollar is going down is the longer you hold it. That's why they say you know savers are losers, because with Bitcoin there's no more being made of it. There's there's a finite amount available. It goes back to that supply and demand system. Yeah. The more people buying it up and storing it, the the higher the price is going to go. To where the dollar. This is a fun fact for everybody, real quick. Thirty percent of the Entire amount of dollars that have been printed out since our history of the dollar was printed out in 2020. 30% of the entire... Since seventeen seven Or whenever the dollar was created, you know, 30% of that was printed out in 2020. That's, That's insane. Why Like, why do we think that... Why, do we, why are we seeing the stock market going at these crazy all-time highs? Because think of the amount of money that has been flooding in the economy and that is also flooding into the stock market. Because the Fed goes... Brr. Yeah. It's insane. And,
4: and somebody just, somebody, one of your viewers just commented, uh, to talk about, uh, to talk about crypto and we will, and not to plug our podcast, but we did, no, please, uh, we did an awesome, um, episode probably early on on average yeah. money about like our beliefs. But like, I'll tell you right now, it's too volatile to be a, a currency. So there's a difference between like a currency and a value. So and as JJ mentioned, it's, it's, it's a way to store value. It's a way to put something somewhere. We don't ever think that it's going to be exchanged. Like you're going to go to the store. I think, will you be able to? Yes. Cause it has some pros and cons. It's global and it's decentralized. So with something that like Bitcoin is the Google, right? We had ask Jeeves, we had Google search, we had all these things. Those are all the other cryptos. And at the end of the day, we ended up with Google cause they were the shit. That's Bitcoin. And I, I tutor kids with my physics background. I tutor kids in in Spain, in Europe, in Portugal, in, in uh, Senegal, like all these places where we can transact in the Bitcoin because they know the direct currency to their currency. They don't have to worry about exchanging money. They know the value of a Bitcoin. So I think if there's a certain value of cryptocurrencies, and I speak in Bitcoin because I think that's the one that will ride out everybody else, It at least gives us a global standard for currency, but I don't think that we're ever going to transact it like we do the dollar yet. Sure. But what it does do is it says, hey, you don't like what Robinhood did because they restricted currency, or you don't like what the Democrats, or you don't like what the conservatives are doing with their money because they're stopping this. You don't like that the Fed is going to give money here. You don't like taxes. You don't like things like that. That's all centralized money if anything that we can learn from, from cryptocurrencies is that it's decentralized and yet, is it real that I hate when people are like, Oh, but it's not real. 80% of current us transactions are done digitally. Nobody has a fucking $20 bill in their wallet anymore. It's, it's all done digitally. It's all fake. It's, but the only difference is right now in the United States, the bank, they're the ones that carry the ledger. They're the ones that follow the transactions. They're the ones that say, okay, John paid Steve and Steve paid Taylor. But can I, can I ask the bank, hey, can I see all the transactions that John paid Taylor? They're like, no, fuck you. But with Bitcoin, you can go on and you can see every single transaction. It's verified by us and it's verified. And the more people that get involved, the more legit it becomes. And I think as a stored value, Bitcoin, I don't think it's going to be our money. I don't think we're going to trade in the dollar or the euro for a Bitcoin. But do I think it will become a global currency and a global standard? Right now, we trade oil in the U.S. dollar. The U.S. dollar is a standard for crude oil across the world. Could you imagine if the U.S. dollar continued to print money and then we lost, and they lost faith in the U.S. dollar and they were like, fuck it, I'm not going to do that. That's essentially what Elon Musk said. He's like, listen, guys, I'm going to buy into Bitcoin, not because I think that the Bitcoin is amazing, but because I think the U.S. dollar is trash. Yeah. And I want to set a global standard. Well, what happens if that happened with crude oil? What if they were like, okay, we're no longer going to trade crude oil in the dollar bill anymore we're going to do in Bitcoin because that's legit and standardized across the entire nation. I think Bitcoin would become a lot more serious at that point. It's You can't say that it doesn't exist. No money really exists. Money is just paper. It's But it used to be backed by gold. Now it's backed by the Fed who just goes and then inflation increases. The value of our dollar becomes less and less and... These are the things that JJ and I freaking debate on a regular basis <laughs> over, because it's true because we were all skeptics. The first time I heard about Bitcoin back in 2017 when all the, just like everyone, all the GameStop people were like, Ugh, GameStop, everyone's like, oh, Bitcoin 2017. We're like, come on, man, get into an in, get into an index fund, set up your retirement, like start investing in your 401k. But now as things become more legitimate, it's it's something that you at least need to take notice
2: of. Sure. I have so many investment questions and we're going to, we're going to get to them. We're going to get to them. I promise. Go, I'm, um, drinking, I'm drinking. Go the, the show. The, the, the actual recorded podcast is going to come to an end here in a minute, but then we're going to keep the live stream going, keep the YouTube going and we'll do some, uh, some more investment questions. Um, I Talk think we need to Talk do uh, toast of the week. And the week, we also the um, week. need to review Evan's beer. There's a guy, Evan, in the chat here. This is his homebrew, the stout, bait, uh aged on um bluebird distilling bourbon berry on Nick's berries. <laughs> these these this stout, even though the even though it's not as like heavy as I want normally in a stout, the mouthfeel on this is incredible. Like this thing is incredibly well balanced and even though like i i want to i want to knock it for not being that like super heavy thick chocolatey stout that i love um there the everything is balanced the bourbon um the chocolate all of those notes you know that roastiness um and and even though it's it's i don't know there's like a perfect mouthfeel with this thing
0: i said in the chat you can get bourbon stouts that taste like a shot of bourbon with an aftertaste of beer. Yeah. This tastes like a beer that has bourbon in it.
2: Yeah. Which no, I this,
0: appreciate a lot.
2: It is really really well done and I think it's just it's not that like motor oil. That's the only thing that it's not.
1: My so my my sensationalized beginner's opinion on this is that this is a masterclass in home brewing. I the the smoothness of this, the mouthfeel, the terms that I don't understand. This is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, absolutely <laughs> a great beer. It's very clean, Evan. Um, <laughs> I love it. It's really good. But I'm like, oh, I have to work tomorrow, and I gotta finish this beer. It's really really good. But holy shit, this is fucking me it's up. Fantastic. <laughs> toast, of
2: week, toast of the week for me. Uh, happy. Tr- Happy Chinese New Year. I just got bourbon right on the back of my my throat there. It's like, wow. Happy Chinese New Year, um, if if you're into that. And um, also check out Kennet Brewfest, um, kennetbrewfest.com. There's still tickets available. Even though it's not actually um, an actual event, they've got two fantastic cases, 48 unique beers from 48 different breweries. They're also giving a golden ticket away to a handful of people that pick up the, uh, the beer. So um, if you're listening, watching, check out Kennetbrewfest.com, get your tickets, pick up your cases at the end of February. I think it's like February 27th or something like that. We've got ours. Yeah. Yeah. We got ours.
0: It's a good job, John.
2: Here's, I need that soundboard. <laughs> <laughs> he's,
0: he's got the sounds. My toast of the week. If you haven't seen it, go check out the cat lawyer. Have you seen the cat lawyer? Oh, no. the the
2: the, uh, the video that went viral. Yeah, yeah. I promise I'm not a cat. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Cat lawyer.
2: Yeah. He's on a legal call with a
0: cat freaking filter on, but the man was like, "I'm ready." <laughs> I'm ready to proceed, <laughs> Judge.
1: The best is when his eyes like go to the side and they're like bugging out of his head, like he's like, <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: "How do Cat I fucking lawyer. change this shit?"
2: It's <laughs> here for Cat Cat job. Um,
1: I have two quick ones if I could. Um, yeah, first thing. Uh, first things first. Uh, shout out to Sean from Fam. He won our Patreon monthly giveaway uh, on our Patreon exclusive. That we recorded and put it out today. Uh, So shout out to him. Also, shout out to uh, Travis View from the QAnon Anonymous podcast who gave me an hour of his time this past week um, in an awesome interview. If you haven't yet, please go check out Might Be News from Monday. Um, It was an incredible interview that we uh, dealt with a two- to three-second delay the entire time, and we just <laughs> really we really got to the bottom of some things, and I just kind of asked them some beginner's questions about some things that I've, I've been researching, and it was just a really great conversation. So if you haven't, go check out Might Be News for Monday. It was a really great time.
2: Cheers. What are these cheers? I want to cheers. What are we cheers? Every what, week, we, uh, we, we just bring up whatever you feel like toasting. You got Serious. something in mind? Those to, we do it. Whoever's
4: JJ, like. JJ you go first.
2: <laughs> JJ's <laughs> muted and he doesn't know it. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna cheers
3: to Taylor because we're both new craft beer drinkers and he also had the same headphones. Nice,
1: <laughs> nice. I'll, close
4: I'll follow up with two. Cheers to you guys for bringing on us weirdos <laughs> and and cheers to JJ Buckner man paying off a mortgage is a big fucking deal and I, as somebody that's also very into money and very into personal finance I often say like I don't need to do that but it's really because I can't so JJ Buckner <laughs> cheers to you bud for paying <laughs> off your mortgage <laughs> yeah. thank you he's Thank 29 you. years old guys he's 29 years old and he doesn't have a mortgage people that's don't incredible. realize he has got he's got a 40 year old beard but he's only 29 years old.
3: <laughs> <laughs> three years right three years yeah man it's crazy wow, man. that's so cool I mean it's a cheap it's a you know it's a relatively affordable home but you know I'm not I'm living in you know smaller town America it's nothing too crazy extravagant but don't that's the reason why yourself, we did that
4: don't, don't then, undervalue yourself JJ Getting that YouTube money <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's Patreon money. It's not YouTube money. It's Patreon.
2: Money. Uh, Patreon money.
3: Yeah! <laughs> oh man, you guys are. I hopefully, know, hopefully it'll be average money buttons. soon.
2: Let's wrap it up, and uh, we will keep things going on the live stream and YouTube. Is YouTube working? I don't know. It says it is. We'll see what happens. Fuck those. Guys, guys, if you took the time to check us out, to listen to us, to watch us, to participate, to chat. We love you. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. Make sure you check out patreon.com slash MBN Network. Check out our sponsor. You know me cbd dot D.com. E-U-N-O-M-I-A-CBD.com. Check out average money podcast. Look up oh. the Finn is it, the Finn mindset. Uh, Brad Finn. Just look up Brad Yeah, look up Brad Finn. Look up JJ Buckner, YouTube um average money podcast they put out fantastic content um you know better yourself man invest some money figure it out learn from them that's what i'm trying to do um but yeah if you guys took the time we really appreciate you thank you so much uh we've got a lot of really cool stuff in store um we're, we're brewing our first beer uh might be bruised beers we've got um a collab uh, coming up with um with fam and uh and locust lane that we're gonna we're gonna touch on um, and we're gonna hopefully be a part of we're going to um what do you call it uh Le- lehigh valley uh beer week is coming up we're gonna have those guys on the show very soon so lots of exciting exciting content coming your way so stay tuned and we will talk to you next time